0: Week. So let's open with a word of prayer. We'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I pray there'd be less of me and more of your spirit, that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And Lord, I pray as we look at a heavy text this morning that we would leave here not confused, but with a greater understanding of, of your love, of your grace, and your infinite mercy. Lord, be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So Revelation, I was not here last week. I missed you guys. I spoke at a men's conference last week and then taught at the church uh, that had the men's conference and it was my former assistant pastor from Santa Cruz for 10 years. So it was a wonderful blessing. I watched Pastor Mark's message. It was fantastic, but it's good to be home. I miss you guys. All right. So Revelation quickly, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The word for revelation there is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. So, what revelation does is it really helps us get to know Jesus better. But as we know, the, one of the main focuses of the book of Revelation is the end times. So, chapter one, we saw the things which were, where we see a picture of Jesus in heaven. Chapter two and three, we see the church age. So there's the letters to the seven churches. Churches are mentioned, the word church is mentioned 19 times. And so that's what we're living in now. In chapter four, we see John being called up. In my opinion, clearly a picture of the rapture of the church because the rest of the book is looked at from a heavenly perspective. So we see from that point forward, we don't see the church being mentioned anymore till the Lord comes back. So we see the church and then the church is no longer mentioned. And then we saw in chapters 4 and 5, it was all focused on what's going on in heaven. And the focus of heaven was what? The throne of God. So the focus in heaven is the throne. I don't think we're going to notice the streets of gold. I don't think we're going to be looking at that because we're going to be in the presence of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to be in His presence forevermore. Amen? but he's the focus. And there's 24 elders around his throne. And then they have the angels around him, and they're all singing his praises. And so the focus of the heaven is the, is the Lord. We saw that there's a rainbow around him, around his throne. Again, the rainbow is his promise to be faithful to his promises. And so we see that we can trust in what the word of God says, and he's faithful to it. Then we got to chapter six and seven, and the focus then From what John was seeing in heaven, he was now seeing upon the earth things that were going to take place after this, in the future, things that are going to happen again in the days to come. And we saw, again, there was a point where there was a scroll, and they said, who can open the scroll? And the scroll, what was the scroll? The ownership papers of what? Of earth. And so, he's the one that owns it, God created it. And the scroll could not be opened by anybody other than Jesus Christ. And then we saw the seal judgments throughout chapter 6. And the seal judgments, the first seal, we saw a white horse. And the one riding on it was the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is can be, say, the opposite of or instead of Christ. And he's going to come on the scene when the world, after the church is raptured. Look, what, look how much havoc COVID caused. And imagine... When, if all the Christians are removed from the face of the planet, what kind of a mess this world will be in, amen? And the Antichrist is going to come along with an answer, at least a temporary one, to bring peace. And the people will all line up behind him. They'll get, find out three and a half years later that they've all been, you know, scammed, right? He's a false teacher and a false prophet. The second seal is war. So we have the rise of the Antichrist, then we have wars like we've never seen. The third seal is famine, and there'll be famine in the land. People will be starving. That's where you get the, you know, will bill for a red bread, money for a loaf of bread. The fourth seal is death and disease. We'll see one-fourth of the world's population die in a single day. The fifth seal cries out is the cries of the martyrs, prayer for vengeance for the believers that were on the earth that were killed and we'll talk about this morning, for not taking the mark of the beast. Now, I want to say this about the mark of the beast. The vaccine's not the mark of the beast, okay? Uh, uh, The chips, the computer chips, I'm not getting one, but the computer chips are not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is going to be something that takes place after we are all gone and we are in heaven, and it's going to be the only way that you can buy and sell. Now, when you told people that 100 years ago, that seemed insane. Not so much. See the whole digital thing that's going on right now? How they want, they want everything to go digitally, and eventually they want to get rid of all cash, and who will be in control of all your money, and you'll only be able to buy and spend if the government allows it. Uh, and again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm a Biblist, and the Bible teaches that's what's going to happen eventually. I just believe that when it comes in such a heavy way, we'll be in heaven. Amen. So the mark of the beast is something where someone is aligning with the Antichrist on purpose. We're going to see in this morning's text, maybe you didn't know this because we always talk about the mark of the beast, they are going to be people that take the mark of God. They're going to take the mark of God and stand with God knowing that by taking the mark of God, they will not be able to buy or sell and they will their lives will be on the line and most of them will be martyred for their faith. So that sixth seal, we're going to see the the... Com- the last thing is, is cosmic disturbance, earthquakes, the sun turning black, the moon turning red, stalls, so- stars falling to the earth, the sky splits apart, every mountain and island will be moved out of their places. Now, we've been through some big earthquakes if you grew up in California, but I've never seen a mountain move. Amen? When when mountains and islands are moving, that's heavy duty stuff. Men will be hiding in rocks and in caves. It's been said the most you know, most uh, valuable real estate during the tribulation will be a hole in the ground, because there'll be a place for people to hide. By the way, you can't hide from God's judgment. Amen. Uh, They'll be crying out for the rocks to fall on them. They'll hide from the presence of God and the wrath of the Lamb. And then it says in Revelation 6, 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to to stand. So the judgments of the first five seals were severe, but the world again will refuse to acknowledge uh, the judgment as coming from God. But the disasters of the sixth seal will far surpass anything in the first five seals. And these events will be so horrific that all will be forced to acknowledge them as the righteous judgment of God. Now we come to chapter seven. Now in chapter eight and on, we're going to see the heavy duty again, judgment of God, and we're kind of taking a break for a chapter. And he's going to kind of talk about how we can respond, and we're going to see how, how people re- are, react to, again, these, these heavy-duty, great and awesome days of judgment. So it's going to take time away from the action between the sixth and seventh seal to answer that question that, the last chapter, who's able to stand? Who can stand in the face of all of this? Who in the world can endure it? And we're going to see the answer and see two different groups that will survive through it in different ways. They'll stand for it. Some won't survive, actually. But they're going to stand in the midst of the time when everybody else is bowing to the Antichrist, when everybody else, kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing when everyone else bowed to the idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we're going to see these two groups. And if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through this quickly, and then we'll get into the text. I tell the message: Who is able to stand in the day of trouble? There are going to be some that are preserved through it, and there are going to some. There are going to be some that are going to be delivered from it. And isn't that what happens in the trials in our life? When we go through trials, God will either preserve us through it, or He'll deliver us from it. Sometimes he calms a storm, sometimes he calms his child, amen? Sometimes he allows you to go through it, but he stands with you, and other times he delivers you from it. And the way it's going to deliver the people in tonight's text, you might not think of as deliverance, but it truly is. And so the scene's going to shift again from the judgment upon ungodly to the special protection for the godly. These are going to be the great tribulation saints. They're going to be people that are getting saved during the great tribulation. And it's not going to be just a few. I believe it's going to be tens, if not hundreds of millions of people will get saved during the great tribulation, but it will come at a heavy cost, but it will be worth it. Amen. And so we're going to see very different results from these tribulation saints. First point number one, there are those who will be uh, preserved to go through the day of great trouble that they might minister to others. These are 144,000 Jewish evangelists, you guys know about this? 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel who've been marked out by God, and if any of you think that you're one of them, you're not. Can I get an into that? <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses thought that they were until they had over 144,000 people, and I love when they tell us there's 144,000. I love to open up the Bible and say, so are you Jewish? Well, no, then you can't be. Are you a man? Uh, no, then you can't be. Have you been celibate your whole life? I notice you got your daughter here with you. Can I get an into that? <laughs> no. Bible's clear. (laughs) Jewish men who are virgins, who are chosen by God, and who will go out and will be preaching the gospel with boldness. They will have their eyes open. Here's what I think of 144,000 Apostle Pauls. Can you imagine? Because isn't that what happened to Paul? He was on the road to kill Christians and he had that head-on collision with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He he was born again and then he went out preaching the gospel with boldness and everywhere he went, he started a revival or a riot. Amen? And now we're going to see 144,000 who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and they're going to be sold out for the Lord and they're going to be preaching the gospel with boldness and praise God for them. And God is going to preserve them. God's going to protect them so that they can continue to preach the gospel. This is why, again, I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. And by the way, this is a Jewish book taught about, by, written by Jewish people about a Jewish savior. Amen? Amen. So God's pro-Israel. We're pro-Israel. And again, their, eye, their eyes are blinded at this point. We know there's many Jewish believers, and praise God for that. But the children of Israel can have their eyes open in a new way. So point number one, we'll see those who are, who are, who are preserved to go through the tribulation. And then we're going to see those who are delivered from it. We're going to see in the text that there will be people saved from every nation. And these people that are being saved, they're every tri- tri- uh, it says, uh, nation, tribe, people, and tongue. They're going to be made righteous, righteous in the Lord. They're going to be martyred for their faith. So they're going to be marked by God. And we'll see when we get to the text. I'll give it away. When they're marked by God, it's a letter. And the letter is the shape of a T. What does a T look like? Cross. They're literally going to be marked with the cross. So you're going to have the mark of the beast or the mark of the cross. Amen? And so those that are marked with the cross, they're going to lose their lives. They're going to give their life to the Lord, they're going to be born again, they're going to be sharing their faith, they're going to be standing for the Lord, and they're going to be martyred. Here's the good news, absent from the body, present with the Lord, amen? And I want to tell you that they're going to be living is what is basically hell on earth, because Gary, the great tribulation, we'll get to this in future chapters, it's going to be hot, there's going to be you know, 120-pound boulders falling from the sky uh, that are on fire. Uh, the the waters going to be bitter. The oceans are going to be bitter. Uh, beasts are going to be turning against their own, uh, against, uh, their own owners. It's going to be out of control. It's going to be a place that you don't want to be. And so for them, being martyred, while well, again, it, it's the taking of your life, it's just taking of the temporary to graduate you to the eternal. Amen? So some are going to persevere through it and be witnesses throughout that seven-year period. And then there are going to be some that are going to be delivered from it. Now, it's interesting in Scripture, whenever God does a work like this, there's always uh, some people He preserves through it. When God just destroyed the world by a flood, He preserved Noah and his family. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, He preserved Lot and his daughters. When God destroyed uh, Jericho, he preserved Rahab and her family. And when he destroyed Egypt, he preserved the nation of Israel. Here's the good news, guys. No matter what happens around us, our God is in control. Amen? And you know what? Nothing can come to us if it doesn't pass through the hand of God first. And so when we're reading the book of Revelation, and you see some awe-inspiring things, things that we personally won't have to go through. Uh, If you've been born again, if you haven't been born again, if you come here next week and we're all gone, Get on your knees and pray. Can I get an amen to that? Get right with the Lord, right? You want to get right or you're going to get left, amen? So he, uh, it's probably not even on this t-shirt yet, okay. <laughs> but it's true. So we don't want to get left behind, amen? So Revelation 7, let's begin there looking at who is able to stand. We're going to look at the day of trouble. Again, it's a little bit of a break, a little bit of a break between chapter 6 and chapter 8. We're going to see again, we're going to go from focusing on the righteous judgment of God upon those who will not repent to God's preserving those who have given their lives to the Lord, these tribulation saints, some preserving them through it and some delivering them from it. So let's begin there, looking at those who will be preserved to go through the day of trouble. says there in chapter 7, verse 1, after these things. After what things? What we just saw in the sixth seal, all those things, all the righteous judgment of God that was being poured out upon the earth. Again, we, we know that there were earthquakes, mountains were being moved, a fourth of the world's population dies in a single day. Uh, The sun turns black, the moon turns red. Again, stars of heaven fall to earth. The sky is rolled up. Again, mountains and islands moved out of their place and men hiding in caves and, and hiding their face from God and the wrath of God. So the scene now shifts from the judgment upon the ungodly to the special protection of the godly. Notice what it says. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now, I saw four angels. An angel in the Bible is a messenger, and they are instruments that God uses, beings that God uses to bring about His perfect will. Now, we know this too. When we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away by the spiritual battle that was taking place all around us the entire time we've been on this planet. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, we battle not with flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and evil forces of darkness in high places. So we know that a third of the angels fell with Satan. They're now called demons. We know there's a spiritual battle that takes place all around us, and there's a spiritual battle over you. Now, the good news is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, amen? And God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. So we don't need to fear them, but we need to know that there is a spiritual battle taking place all around us. So these angels, they're on the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. And the idea here is that these angels affect the entire earth. They're holding the four winds of the earth. These winds are the destructive forces of God's righteous judgment. It says this in Jeremiah. Against Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of the heaven and scatter them toward all these winds. There shall be no, there shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. What it's saying is God was bringing righteous judgment. They're coming from the four winds of the earth. So they're holding back God's judgment for a moment. The judgment has come. People are hiding in, in the rocks and, and God's going to hold back his judgment for a moment. And, when, and in that moment it's when he's going to raise up this army of evangelist. And it's when his work is going to be done, we're giving an opportunity for the people in the midst of the tribulation to be saved. Why doesn't God just wipe out everything? Why does he just take all the Christians and wipe it all out? Why why is there a seven-year tribulation? Why? So people can get saved. Amen? It's God's righteous judgment, but it's also God's mercy and grace. It's an opportunity for people to repent and praise God for that. And Daniel it says, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four great beasts came up from the sea, and each different from the other. And When we get done with Revelation, we're going to teach Daniel. And the reason we're going to go through Daniel is Daniel and Revelation tie so closely together. Chapter 7 to chapter 12 of Daniel really tie into the book of Revelation. But he's talking about these winds were God's righteous judgment. So when he's saying he's holding these winds back, it's a moment in time again for God to do a work. It says in Hosea, though he is fruitful among the brethren, the east wind shall come from the wind of the Lord, shall come up from the wilderness, then his springs shall become dry and his fountain shall be dried up. These winds, again, are forces of God's righteous judgment. Notice it says there they're holding them. The word there, again, is a real strong word. It suggests the winds are struggling to break free from restraint, and God is holding them back. He's holding back his righteous judgment for a moment. Isn't God holding back his righteous judgment right now? Are you not blown away when you look at the world we live in and you think, man, God is patient. He is long-suffering. Amen? And praise God that he is because we all needed him to be long-suffering in our lives. Amen? But while he suffers long, he won't suffer always. And there's a day coming when righteous judgment will come. But it's being held back in the moment. It says that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. They're withholding the righteous judgment of God between the time of the sixth and seventh seal of judgments coming upon the earth. God's going to raise up a mighty army of these Jewish evangelists. And he will seal them with a protective seal before he continues to pour out his righteous judgment. He's literally going to keep them from harm. Can God do that? What's the answer? He can. He can. And the good news is, you're indestructible until God's through with you. Now, we, we're not to tempt the Lord, thy God, amen? Because if you decide to play on the freeway, He might be through with you, amen? But the reality is that we're indestructible. God's, God's ordained our, our, our every breath. God knows when we were going to be born, when we we're going to die. It's it'd been appointed by God, but we need to be faithful in the midst of that. And we don't, we're going to serve the Lord faithfully. But it's good to know that God is in control. And he's going to seal them with the seal of protection. Even in the midst of the great tribulation, God will raise up a remnant of believers. Because you often wonder, well, who are these people going to be? Because the church is gone. If we've been raptured, who's witnessing? People that get saved during the great tribulation. So much so, getting ahead of myself, but at the end of the tribulation, there will be millions of people still alive, believe it or not. But billions will die. And then we will come back and rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years on the earth, new heavens and new earth, during which time the world will be repopulated again. And at the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed and people have an opportunity to follow the God that they've, that's been ruling over them with the saints for a thousand years or to follow the enemy. And even then some will choose the enemy. Just goes to show you how the, the thickness of men and women, amen, we're just thick we're ridiculous. We're, we're fighting over what a man is. Stop it. It's ridiculous. I mean, help me, help me out here. You know what it is? It's, I want to be what I want to be, and I want to tell God, and I don't believe in God, and all it, All this is an attack on God. Amen? God created the male and female. God doesn't make any mistakes. If you're struggling with that in any way, shape, or form, we will pray for you, but I want you to know you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and God knows what He's doing. Amen? And don't let the enemy cause you to mutilate yourself or make you do something to yourself to try to find hope in something you'll never find hope in because the hope's only found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. He's the answer. Then it says in verse 2, then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels whom he granted to harm the earth and the sea. So another angel, in addition to these four who are holding back the winds of righteous judgment, comes from the east. And from John's perspective on Patmos, even though he's looking down from heaven, the east would be from Jerusalem or Israel. So God raises up another angel a land where God's promised salvation came through Jesus the Messiah, where the 12 tribes of Israel came, members of which were about to be sealed. So having, seal, having the seal of the living God, the word seal there often refers to like a signet ring. In those days, they would stamp their ring, and it was something that they couldn't even change once they made that, that you know, confirmation. When they confirmed it, when they sealed it, it couldn't change their mind. That's what happened with Daniel. You remember, Darius did that. And then he didn't want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, but even he could not go back against that commitment that he had made. And so the kings of other officials would use such rings to stamp and to wax on documents or other items, affirming their authenticity and guaranteeing their security. And a seal then denoted ownership and protection in Daniel six seventeen, then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now we don't ever have to worry about God changing His mind because He doesn't. Amen. And He doesn't have to because He's perfect. You know why we change our minds? Because we're idiots. Can I get him into that? <laughs> We change our minds because we're going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing, and hopefully we're not too stubborn to just keep walking in that direction. And it's good that we can change our minds because we're far from perfect. But God is perfect, and He knows what He's doing, and He's a faithful God, and we can trust Him. So as we see from this passage in Daniel, it carried the king's authority and it served to communicate the king's will to which he would use all his power and authority to carry out. So one who seal was upon something guaranteed, again, its protection and it marked, it was a mark that it belonged to him. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter one, there were blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, ensured. But one of them is sealed. One of the words there is sealed and it literally means Ownership papers that we are sealed by God, that we belong to Him. We're under His authority. We're under His protection. We belong to the Lord. And the outpouring of that promise of being sealed is the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, it's ownership papers that we belong to God. Amen? And He will never abandon you. And you have the promise of eternal life. And you'll never walk this life alone. So one, the seal was only as significant as the one it belonged to. You know, if I seal something, it has some level of... But but when God seals something, come on. When God seals it, that's it. God said it, that settles it. Amen? And so God seals this. And in contrast to the seals of perishing earthly rulers, the seal born by the angel was from that of the living God. The Bible frequently refers to God as a living God. He is the true and living God. Every other God that people claim to follow is dead. Amen? Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Joseph Smith of the Mormon church is dead. Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses, dead. Christian science leaders, dead. They're all dead. We can dig up their bones. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Those of you going to Israel with us, the last day we will be at the foot of the cross, teaching on the cross, and then we will go and teach at the tomb, and we will enter the tomb, and it is empty because our Savior is risen. Amen? So this is the power of the risen and living Savior, Almighty God. He is a living God. He's referred that way many times throughout Scripture. The fact that He's eternal guarantees that He will accomplish His will. Two seals of great tribulation will clearly identify what size you're on as an individual. There's one that's the mark of the beast. And again, we've talked about this. The mark of the beast is you aligning with the Antichrist. And you have to take, you know, it says his number is 666. So whether it's a series of six numbers, but it talks about it being on your head or your forehead, your, hand, your palm of your hand or your forehead. And that that's how you would buy and sell. And if you didn't have it, you would be put to death. So, people will take the mark of the beast, but they'll know they're taking it, and they will know that they're choosing to align with the Antichrist. But not only is there the mark of the beast, but there's the seal of God, the true and living God. And mark will be the names of Christ uh, and the Father upon it. Now, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, God marked Israel with blood on their doorpost and their lentils. Remember to spare them from the firstborn dying. Remember Passover, right? They call it Passover because it was the last of the plagues and they had all these other plagues. And it said, look, if you don't take the blood of a lamb and put it at the top, both sides at the foot, if you do that, the angel of death will pass over and your family will be delivered. If not, your firstborn will die. So, how did they escape the righteous judgment of God? Through the blood of the Lamb in the shape of a cross. How do you and I escape the righteous judgment of God through Jesus Christ and his shed blood upon the cross of Calvary? Amen? And the Bible rocks, amen? It's all true and it's so good, it's so perfect. So he marked, there was a mark that God would place upon them. He marked again Israel with the the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. He marked Rahab with a scarlet cord to keep her and those who were with her from being killed. But the illustration that most neatly parallels this present passage comes from Ezekiel 9. Don't turn there. I don't want to play, you know, Bible trivia and have you bouncing over the Bible. But I'll just read it to you. You can read it later. It's Ezekiel 9 verses 3 through 6. It says, now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub. And when it had been to the threshold of the temple, he called to the men, clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill and do not let the eye spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and and little children and women, but do not come near any who will have its mark. So if you are marked by God, you will be protected by God. And that's what they show in Ezekiel. And that's what will take place in the last days. Now it's interesting and the seal was the Hebrew letter tau, again, and it's a T. So what they did is they marked those who were mourning the sin in the city, who are followers of the true and living God. They marked them with a T, and when the righteous judgment came, if they had the mark of the cross upon them, they were delivered from that righteous judgment. And guys, this is clearly a picture of what will take place during the Great Tribulation, because you will either take the mark of the beast or the mark of God. If you take the mark of God the world will hate you. The world will seek to destroy you. They won't let you buy and sell, and it will more than likely cost you your life. But again, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Because giving up the temporal for the eternal. Now, as we're reading through this and you're going, dude, here's a good thing. Get saved. You won't have to be here. Can I get an amen to that? This is what's going to take place after we as the church. Are gone, but it's important that we understand it. It's important that we teach it. It's in the Bible for a reason. Amen. Now, again, the second half of chapter two, there in verse three, it says, verse two and three it says, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, "Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God." on their foreheads. So the harm and the damaging devastation that will come to the earth, the sea and the trees will occur when the four angels suddenly release the judgment they had been restraining. But the judgment and the judgments to follow the trumpet and bull judgments had to wait till the angels had sealed the faithful servants of God. And so they're going to be sealed first, and then God's judgment is coming. Now, it's not talking about believers that are alive today, because we we see clearly from Scripture that we will have been raptured, but there will be those who have gotten saved, tribulation saints, if you will, who will have the mark of God. According to Revelation 14, these servants of God will receive a protective seal on their forehead that contains God's name and will serve to protect them during this time of great tribulation. And even in the midst of God's righteous judgment upon a rebellious world, He has those that He has marked to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. Revelation 14 describes, again, their morally pure and undefiled character and their devotion to Jesus Christ. They are the most faithful, loyal, diligent, holy servants of God during these dark days. Here's the good news. Even when there's darkness all around us, there's always a godly remnant. And that godly remnant in California is in this tent. Amen? and a lot of other churches around here. And that's why, and you hear me say this often, I'll say it again, be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by Zillow. Amen. You know, if God call, if, if if you see a cheap house and you want to move, if that's God moving you, we'll pray you out and God bless you. But let's not be moved by things of this world. Let's be led and moved by the Holy Spirit. And California is one of the greatest mission fields on this planet, and we need some Christians to stay here and be salt and light to a lost and a dying world because people here need Jesus. Amen? And we want to be salt and light. May God use us for His kingdom and His glory. God still will protect them as they boldly proclaim the gospel, and you are indestructible until God is through with you. We too are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we come to believe and put our faith In Jesus Christ. His seal of the Holy Spirit is our down payment on heaven, his mark of ownership. What does the Holy Spirit do in your life right now? He convicts you when you sin, and he comforts you when you're hurting. He is the great comforter. He is God, and he comforts you because we need to be comforted because we're not supposed to be comfortable. Amen? We live in a world we shouldn't be comfortable here. This is not our home. And we are, you know, fish out of water, right? Because we, we live amongst a world, a lost and a dying world, and we're new creations in Christ. It says in Second Timothy, the Lord knows who are His and lets everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Again, so the Holy Spirit is your promise of heaven. You went from being with you to being in you. You're born again. Uh, people will question, how do I know for sure that I'm saved? Well, if you're concerned about whether or not you're saved, that's a great thing. And what I always ask people is, how do you feel when you sin? How do you feel about the sin in your life? Is it something you're okay with or does it grieve you? Because if you're born again, it will grieve you. Amen? How many of you guys sinned this week? If your hands are up, you're a liar. Can I get a minute? And just sin right now. Okay. How many of you, when you sinned this week, you felt horrible about it? That's a mark of salvation. Amen? Now, again, as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less, right? And we have a different view on our sin, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and He's our promise of heaven. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who can remember who we are in Christ. But again, it convicts us in times of disobedience, and it comforts us, He comforts us in times of difficulty. So the Lord knows who are His. I'm glad that I'm His. How about you? My 401k is seven words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I just want to be about it for the kingdom of God. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And this is the time that we live, and God has us here, and his hand is upon us. Ephesians 4 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We've been sealed by the same Spirit who will mark, equip, and protect these tribulation saints. And again, You might say, now, if the church has been raptured, who are these people? Let's take a look. So, another question we may also ask is if the church is raptured, how's anyone going to get saved? Well, there's going to be several ways people are going to get saved. We'll get to them in future chapters. First of all, God will always have a remnant, and God has not been without a witness of salvation upon the earth ever, nor will he ever. And during the great tribulation, he will reach the lost through four basic avenues. First of all, the two witnesses. Who have ever heard of the two witnesses? Okay? And again, Pastor Dave's opinion, total opinion, but I believe it's Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets. Elijah ascended into heaven without dying. It could be they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it's probably them. But if not, it doesn't matter. But what we do know about these two witnesses is they're going to be witnessing with boldness. They're going to be martyred, killed, and then they're going to get back up. And it says the whole world will see it. Now, 50 years ago, people will say, well, how's the whole world going to see it? Well, the television came around. That's how, well, now it's your phone. If that happened 30 seconds ago, all your phones would be lighting up and you'd all go, dude, these guys died and got back up. Look, they got back up. Here's the thing. The whole world's going to see it. And you know, when people die and get back up, people might want to listen to them. Can I get an amen to that? And they're going to be preaching the gospel with boldness, without fear. Secondly, during the time of great tribulation, there's an angel of the everlasting gospel. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. There will be a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now there will also be the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Again, I think a bunch of guys, kind of not, maybe not quite where Paul is, but can't be far from it. We're going to be going around preaching the gospel with boldness. Look at verse four. It says, I have numbered those who are sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel who were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Natalie, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, twelve thousand were sealed. And the tribe of Benjamin. 12,000 were sealed. I have people come and say to me, We don't even know who the tribes are. How, how is this even possible? We don't know, but God does. Can I get an amen to that? You don't even know all your, all your uh, ancestry until you took a DNA test and you were shocked, right? But God always knew, amen? And, that, and you can't meet a Jewish person today and say, so What tribe are you from? None of them know. They have no idea. But God knows, amen? And he's going to raise up. Now, people say, it's going to be exactly 144,000. Don't you think God's just speaking and figuring like No. When the Bible says it, take it literally unless it can't be literal. Amen? God's word is true. He put the stars in the sky. He speaks the world into existence. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Can he pick out 144,000 people? Amen? I just want you to see this. It's in the Bible. And then you'll have the guy come to your door, Jehovah's Witness. I'm one of the 144,000. You a man? You're a man. Okay, got that. You're Jewish? No. You've been celibate your whole life? No. You're not. Amen? We're going to see as we go through the description of this 144,000. And again, they're try, and you know, it's crazy. They always thought they're 144,000. Then they had a, more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. That in and of itself is sad. But they had more than 144,000. So then they started saying the best 144,000. So that's why they're all knocking on your door trying to earn heaven. And the reality is we need to love them and let them know that they've already been forgiven, they can be redeemed, and they're not saved through works, but by the grace of God. Amen? Point them all to Jesus. So who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah? And then they're going to recognize him for who he truly is. And here's the reality. All of us at some point were rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And then God opened our eyes to who he really is, and now we know him. Amen? Amen. And when these guys who are devout and these guys who are rejecting the Messiah have a head-on collision with Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're going to go from Saul on the road of Damascus to the apostle Paul, reaching a lost and a dying world. Imagine what will happen when suddenly in the midst of the most trying and confusing time of human history, that 144,000 Jews will instantly and miraculously become devout believers in Jesus as their promised Messiah and Savior. Again, 144,000 Pauls or Billy Grahams running around in the midst of a time when the world is falling apart. Again, how will they be saved? Maybe the true witnesses are are God's going to use them. Maybe it, it. It isn't interesting that God brought all the Jews. How many nations have there been that was a nation? Stop being a nation. Somehow the people still knew they were a part of the nation. The nation came back, and then many of the people came back to the nation. That only happens because God's in control. Amen. And when it talks about in the last days that the fig tree will bloom again, fig tree in the Bible is a picture of Israel. Matthew 24, we see that that's what has happened is that, and, that it, and again, depending on how you interpret it says the generation that sees that fig tree bloom, that this generation will not pass away till the coming of the Son of Man. So that means we're in rapture season. No man knows the day or the hour, but so God's going to raise these, and they're going to hear the gospel, whether it's through the two witnesses or some other tribulation saints, and they're going to give their life to the Lord, and they're going to be a mighty army for the truth of the gospel in a time when the whole world is following the Antichrist, in a sense, following the devil. Amen? Amen? Even though the Antichrist isn't the devil, he's a follower of Satan. So however, God chooses to bring about the result while the army of these evangelists whose faithful witness in the midst of both God's righteous judgment upon the earth and the reign of the Antichrist will lead to millions of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation coming to Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord for that. Amen? So there's your answer to why there's a tribulation. Because millions of people are going to get saved. Millions. Millions maybe tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions, and praise God for that. So this is what's going to happen. And while they will be preserved by God, nowhere does it say that they will not face opposition or trials or even torture. You know, God preserves us, but that doesn't mean that when you give your life to Jesus, you don't have any trials in your life. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. How many are going through a trial right now? Most of the room, and if if your hand's not up, it's coming. Amen? But here's the thing. Count all joy when you fall into various trials, not if. Well, the trials of life, we know that God will preserve us, but it doesn't mean that we won't go through difficulty. You've heard me say this many times. It's probably on the t-shirt. Here's the reality. You've heard me say it. No suffering is wasted, and everyone in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. Every single person. You cannot find anybody in Scripture used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. And everyone that will wear a crown in heaven will have carried a cross on earth. Amen? So the point is that as believers, even though God will bring us through it, it doesn't mean that we'll go unscathed. It doesn't mean that we won't go through trials and difficulties in this life. But the reality is, and let's also, I'll just, I'll ask you, how many of you have grown the most by going through a trial? Okay? Okay. But then we don't want to go through trials, but we want to grow. <laughs> I want to grow, Lord. Okay. You're fired. You know, right? Lost your job. Money's a mess, right? What happens is that God will allow us to go through the difficulties of life to keep our eyes on Him. And God will take us through the trials. Sometimes He calms a storm. Sometimes He calms a child. Sometimes He delivers us through it, uh, from it. And sometimes He preserves us in the midst of it. The only God may know the ancestry of these tribes and tongues Again, God knows in Revelation 14, it says they are celibate, they're virgins. It says they uh, are the beginning of a much greater harvest that will be marked by integrity and faithfulness. They're protected and triumphant through the period of God's wrath, meeting with Jesus and Mount Zion at his return. So when we come back with the Lord, the 144,000 are going to be waiting for us. They've been witnessing millions have gotten saved, that great last war in Armageddon, the of Megiddo, which we will see when we go to Israel where that last battle is going to take place. They're all going to be battling each other. They're going to turn to face to fight God as we come back with them. And we have an idea how that's going to turn out, don't we? Our God is greater. I've read the end of the book, God wins. Amen? The church, as some propose the 144,000 to be doesn't work either. This is called replacement theology. I'm giving you a lot of stuff this morning. You can watch this again online. Here's the thing. Replacement theology, people teach that the church took the place of Israel, that Israel has walked away from God and the church replaced God. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible, and it's not biblical. Amen? The church is the church, and Israel is Israel. And God's not done with Israel. And God still has a heart for Israel. And they are still His chosen people. And we are His bride. Amen. Amen. Okay. So don't get those two things confused. And again, you'll hear people tell you that we replace them. We're going to be the 144,000. Again, are you a Jew? You celibate? Amen. Amen. Are you one of the 12,000 of the tribes of Israel? Then it's not you. And again, I hear it often. If you're here this morning, again, and you are a woman, you're not one of the 144,000. If if you are a Christian, you're not one of the 144,000 because they're going to be saved during the tribulation. If you're a Gentile, you're not one of the 144,000. If you're married or rather than physically intimate, you're not one of the 144,000. So all of that is just being said. I'm driving this home because I promise you somebody is going to come and tell you that they're one of the 144,000 and you're going to be able to take them to this verse and let them know they're not. Now they can be Christians and that's what they should desire to be. Notice the order here. Who is the oldest of the 12 tribes? Here's bonus points. Who's the oldest of the 12 tribes? Which son? Ah. Reuben. 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 Why is he second? Because Reuben lost his birthright because he slept with one of his mother's concubines or his father's concubines. That's so many wrong things in that sentence. (laughs) His father had concubines and he slept with one. It's a mess, right? So now why is Judah the first one listed? Why Judah? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When they marched through the wilderness, Judah led the way. And the word Judah means praise, and praise is what always leads us into God's presence. Amen? So we see here that even in the 12 tribes, there's some conviction that it is still there. Judah is listed first. Reuben forfeited his birthright again because of sexual misconduct. And again, Judah is whom our Savior came through. Tribe of Dan is not there. Why did they get left out? Well, the tribe of Dan introduced idolatry to the nation Israel. When we go to Israel, we're going to go to a place called Tel Dan. And that's where Dan once was. And they have actually reconstructed an area where they used to worship these idols and as a substitute for worshiping the true and living God. So Dan's not on the list. Ephraim's omitted um, for his father Joseph. Ephraim, like Dan, was consumed with idolatry. So God, look, God had a plan always, and God still has a plan for the 12 tribes of Israel, and he substituted some of those tribes for others. So point number one there, those who will be preserved to go through the day of trouble and we know that they will be the 144,000 of the Jewish evangelists. Now, those who will be delivered from it. Now, here it comes. We'll go through this fairly quickly. Now, watch. Starting their chapter in verse 9. This is those who are going to lose their lives for the cause of, Cal- of, the, of Christ. After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude who no one could number of all the nations, tribes, and peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And here's the amazing thing, I love this, after the 144,000 are sent out, this huge multitude appears, and I believe it's those people that they're witnessing to who are getting saved by the millions. And now we see every tongue and every tribe and every nation and they're looking to Jesus as the Lamb of God and their focus is on Him and they're praising Him. They're rejecting the Antichrist and they're following the true and living Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And again, I believe it's because or could be anyway because of these 144,000. No man could number. Earlier, John described ten. 1,000 times 10,000 angels, that's 100 million angels. But he says that these people getting saved is beyond numbered. So I think it's more than 100 million. It could be billions of people. Hallelujah for that, amen? That all these people are going to get saved. And some of you are like, well, I can just wait till then to get saved. Don't get hit by a bus tomorrow. Can I get better to that? Guys, it's so much better just to know the Lord now. So much better to be snatched away into his presence than to to have to endure this. But all nations, tribes, and tongues, that's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It says in Matthew 24, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for the witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. You know, there's a lot of people that do missionary work, and they will try to find lost peoples, which is amazing. And I praise God for them. But part of it is to fulfill the Great Commission, that there are still people on this planet Uh, in certain places that don't, have not heard the name of Jesus. Now, again, it's gotten less and less than it used to be, but there's a day coming when everyone will hear his name. Salvation isn't something we earn or achieve. It's something that God gives us. Sometimes believers on earth can take for granted their salvation. And again, this isn't true of this great multitude in heaven. They're, they're rejoicing. They're praising God. Again, they're, they're, They couldn't even be numbered, and they're just focused on the Lamb of God. They're standing before the Lamb. They can't ignore His nail-scarred hands and feet, His pierced brow and side, the heavy price that He paid, uh, that was paid by our Savior to redeem sinners like us. Looking upon Him who suffered and died in our place, it's no wonder that they never stop worshiping. They've witnessed the death and mayhem and righteous judgment and the Antichrist, and now They've given their life to the Lord, they've been martyred for their faith, and now they're standing before the King of Kings, and they can't help but praise Him. They're looking to the Lamb of God. They stand before His throne. Again, John sees everything in heaven in reference to the throne of God. The focal point of heaven is the throne. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. John the Baptist said, beginning of his ministry, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're clothed in white robes. What does that mean? It's emblems of purity. But notice that their white robes had to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know what makes you and I holy? Not our good works, not the things that we've done, but what Jesus did for us on the cross. And through his shed blood, we've been washed white as snow. Amen? He's the one that cleanses us. Notice they have palm branches. They wave these at victory celebrations. Remember they did it when he came in. They're saying, save now, we pray you. They thought he was going to come in and overthrow the government. But guys, this time, by the way, there's palm trees in heaven, Jack, right? Amen. If you guys knew Jack, he passed away not too long ago. He hated palm trees. He loves them now. Amen. But they're waving palms in heaven, and it's a standing ovation for God. Again, Palm Sunday, they gathered together and cried out. Notice there in verse 10, again, it says, and crying out with a loud voice. By the way, I don't think heaven's going to be quiet. <laughs> Amen? I've been in India with 50 people in a room, and they seek worship. And I'll tell you what, it brings the, brings the roof down. Because they they were delivered out of is, you know, Muslim or being a Hindu. They've been born again, and they love the Lord, and they're not ashamed of Him. And guys, when we get to heaven, there's going to be millions upon billions upon billions of people around the throne of God, and we're going to be worshiping God at the top of our lungs. And you know what? And all of us will sound good. Can I get an amen to that? And I'm longing for that day. How about you? to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Having been redeemed and forgiven and clothed in righteousness, they can't help but worship. Look at verse 11 and 12. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Amen's in the Bible, by the way. As a great multitude of tribulation saints worships God, the others in heaven, redeemed believers and angelic hosts can't help but join their voices in praise. The Bible tells us when one person on the earth gets saved, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Every time when you gave your life to the Lord, there was a party up in heaven because you've been redeemed and forgiven. And that the fact that you're going to heaven, they're all worshiping around the throne. Verse 13, And one of the elders answered, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb. So all those are around the throne. John's there with a heavenly perspective. He sees them worshiping. The angel in his vision turns to him and says, who are these people? And he says, you know, and he tells them, these are the ones who've been washed by the blood of the lamb. These are the tribulation saints. And the presence of so many tribulation saints is a powerful statement of God's grace and mercy, even in this time of judgment and wrath upon the earth, many are going to be saved. And they're going to be witnessing and sharing their faith with people. They're going to lose their life. The 144,000 will be preserved, but most of the rest of them will not. Most of them will die because of their stand for the Lord. By the way, are you ready? Are you willing to die for the Lord? Are you willing to die? He's willing to die for you. And I want to say this: dying for the Lord, I believe most of us would. So, if we're willing to die for Him, are you willing to live for Him every day? Because dying for Him might actually be easier than living for Him every day. Because dying is pretty quick. And then you're in heaven. But what about living for him every day? That's what God's called us to do. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Man, let's shatter from the mountaintops. Being martyred for crosses for Christ is a heavy and noble thing, but sometimes it's much harder to live for the Lord in the midst of the trial than to be delivered from it. Heaven is far better. They washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb, those saved in the great tribulation are saved just like everybody else by the blood of the Lamb. There's no different salvation for anybody. It's all because of Jesus, amen? There's only one way, one truth, one hope, one cross, one salvation. It's only through Him, amen? Can't get saved any other way. Not your good works. It's not, it's not Buddha for these people and, you know, and Confucius for these people. It's Jesus for all of us, amen? He's the only answer. It says in Isaiah 118, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though you are, re- they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They're before the throne of God in heaven, the redeemed have immediate joy, immediate presence of Almighty God. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like we're in the, all, the presence of Almighty God in such a clear way. These saints knew affliction on earth and they triumphed over it, but it wasn't the affliction that saved them. It was Jesus and their relationship with Him. Enduring through, his, through suffering doesn't save us, but often the ability to faithfully endure in times of great suffering is evidence of true salvation. Spur, Spurgeon put it this way, affliction... In and of itself, does not sanctify anybody, but the reverse. I believe the sanctified afflictions, but not the sanctifying affliction. What it means is that when you're born again, being afflicted is something that you're willing to endure. It's something that, but, but that's, that affliction is not what saves you, it's fruit that you've been saved. Fiery trials don't produce salvation, they reveal those who've been saved. Faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Notice they serve him day and night. I don't think we're sleeping in heaven. Some of you are bummed because you like naps, but we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to be awake and we're going to worship the one who sits on the throne who we dwell among. One thing I have desired that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire at his temple. Let's finish up with the last two verses. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living water, living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We're going to go over a few minutes. You read all of that, and he's going to be in our presence. We're going to be with him forevermore. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. But then I love this last part of the verse. There will be no more tears. He's going to wipe away every tear. And all of us have shed tears in this lifetime. Amen? And some of you are shedding tears right now. Some of you are grieving right now. I know I am. And, as, and the good news is, there's a day coming when all those tears are going to be wiped away. He's going to replace all those tears with joy, with peace, with His presence. This is but light affliction when compared to the glory which is to come, is what the apostle Paul said. In heaven, the redeemed will know the loving care and nurture of our Savior. He's going to wipe away our tears. Imagine the hand of the, 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 the nail scarred hand of our Savior. Wiping away the tears off of your face. That's our God, amen? They'll no longer hunger and thirst, but we'll be fed and filled. They will no longer have to bear the intense heat of tribulation, but will walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. We'll We'll be refreshed by the living waters of heaven as our Savior will provide our every need. I love that he wipes away our tears. On this earth, we have our share of pain and tears, to endure and bring to God and he shows us love now by comforting us and giving us the strength to endure our tears. I got a call this week. Uh, Somebody gave somebody my phone number and it was a mom and when I picked up the phone, we wept together. Her her son had been missing for a while. Her and her husband went out to find him and they found their son had passed away from an overdose. And this is happening every day. And... The good news is, the mom is a believer, dad's a believer, and her son was a believer who was struggling. And you know what? Praise God for his love and his grace and his infinite mercy. Amen. And as we endure the trials and difficulties and heartaches of this life, what a precious hope it is to bring to our hearts to know that in heaven, we will sorrow no more. There will be pain no more. The hurt and struggle of this earthly life will be gone, and the tears that we, pray, that we cry today will be a thing of the past, as our loving and gracious God will place His hand on our cheeks, wipe away every tear. Thank you, Lord, that whatever trial or heartache or difficulty we are enduring today, there's a day coming when you're going to wipe it all out. Amen? So, Guys, when you've given your life to the Lord today, you know you're not going to have to go through the great tribulation. You're going to be snatched away. There's a day coming when we will be in the presence of Almighty God forevermore. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. But know this, while we are here, God will either walk with you through the trial or He will deliver you from it. But in either case, you don't have to go through it alone. Sometimes we're going to be like the 144,000. He's just going to say, you're going to stay here and walk through this, and I'm going to use you in a mighty way if you will just continue to walk with me. And sometimes he will just take you out of that environment and and deliver you from it. But guys, in either case, may God be glorified. Amen? Amen. And the people that I love to listen to the most are the people that have been through the greatest trials, and they just keep loving Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted And you know what? Again, the tribulation is a great opportunity for people to get saved and tens, if not hundreds of millions of people will be saved. So praise God for that tribulation and may we praise God for the trials we go through in this life because God will use them for his glory even here and now, amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, you are a great and an awesome God. Thank you for everyone's patience this morning, a lot of information in this chapter. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've laid it all out for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control, that you can persevere us through it or deliver us from it. We thank you, Lord, for the tribulations that's coming because we know that through it, many will be saved. And Lord, we pray that if anybody's here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We would not leave here without you. Your word tells us that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Lord, may we, if we're walking away from you, if we don't know you, may we turn and surrender our lives to you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day. Let today be the day of salvation. Again, not asking you to join a church, but just recognize you're a sinner in need of a savior. The word we need to repent means we're heading in a direction away from the Lord. We're living our own life our own way. And now we've realized we are desperate need for Him. We turn around. And we change of mind, change of heart. We surrender our lives to him. Not just as our savior, but we make him the Lord of our life. If you've never done that, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven, the Bible says. If you're here today and you've never done that, and you want to surrender your life to the Lord right now, just raise your hand where you are, and I want to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? May today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. Lord Loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you, and you proved it on the cross. For these that have raised their hands, you can just pray this with me. You can pray it out loud or in your heart. It's between you and the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.